This episode is sponsored by Interactive Brokers. Did you know that Interactive Brokers clients earn interest of up to 4.08% on the uninvested cash in their brokerage accounts? That's just one of the many reasons clients use Interactive Brokers to trade stocks, options, futures, currencies, bonds, funds, and more globally. Minimize your cost to maximize your returns. Rates subject to change. Learn more at ibkr.com slash interest rates. The Disciplined Investor is all about you, your money, and the markets. Sit back and get ready for this edition of the Disciplined Investor Podcast. This episode of The Disciplined Investor is sponsored by Horowitz & Company. If you're looking for a portfolio manager, look no further. Horowitz & Company, from seed through harvest, cultivating financial success. Bonds are on the move, and I am sailing away on my way from Panama to Colombia. We're going to look back on some tech, well, tidbits, we'll call it, all on a best of this week. We're going to have some fun, all that, and much more on episode number 807 of the Disciplined Investor Podcast. Hey there. Hey, it's Andrew Horowitz, and welcome to the Disciplined Investor Podcast. Here we are in the, well, we'll call it the middle part of March 2023, and there has obviously been a lot going on. We saw the incredible beginning of this year that ended up being, well, not so stellar. And then, of course, things get a lot mixed up. People are concerned. Inflation issues are there, and earnings, of course, have come out. And, well, there's a lot of confusion. Saw some notes from some of the big boys talking about the inflation rates moving up a bit higher. But all of that condensed into a nutshell brings us what? The fact that that's how things are. The fact that we are seeing so many different diverging opinions is what we get when we deal with markets. Now, as I mentioned at the top and before we even started here, well, where are we? We are in, uh, I don't know where you are. I am sailing right now on a trip that started in uh, Panama City, went through locks all the way up north all the way uh, a couple of days at sea, then to Colombia, finishing off in Aruba. So this week we are dedicating to something that was put together by my good friend Ryan Raditsky, who is a producer for the show. He produced all of the best of that we do here and on DH Unplugged. And what he did was put together something that we're calling Tech Tidbits. Now, remember, this is going back a year or so, and there was a lot of, I would say, really bad calls in the beginning of the year that we had to go and look at very carefully and come to the conclusion very quickly that, well, maybe this isn't the best thing to do. And that is part of the investment process. You have to know when to change your mind if things are not going particularly your way. So right now, we, we look back and we saw all these different things like we start off, for example, about the metaverse and, hey, it looks pretty interesting. Where did that get us? Where did that turn out? Well, it turned out to be a pretty poor situation for some of the big companies and small and many of the players that were diehard absolutists, absolutely looking at these as what we'll call maximalists in the metaverse. Metaverse maximalists, that's a better way to look at it. So we went through some of this. We picked up a bunch of different 
tracks from last year, and I thought it would be really interesting to go through. I think that you'll find this kind of fun. Before we do so, I just want to mention something. I want to tell you that something very important because you know our good friends at Inter Interactive Brokers are, are, are a great a great partner with us here in sponsoring the show. And I don't know if you know all the things that Interactive Brokers actually has available, but they have the ability for their clients to access a vast selection of global fixed income securities on their Interactive Brokers bond marketplace. And what you can do is search their deep availability of over 1 million bonds globally. Now, IBKR, Interactive Brokers, has no markup or built-in spreads, and they have low, fully transparent commissions on bonds. IBKR displays the highest bids, the lowest offers received from the electronic venues they access. And in addition, clients can interact with each other. It's kind of interesting. Interact with each other by placing bids and offers online to execute. They execute their trades by understanding what others are doing. Learn more about this at ibkr.com slash bonds. And without further ado, let's get into this wonderful, this wonderful best of that we did this, this week uh, on Tech Tidbits. January 9th, episode 748. Now, I'm still liking a lot of this meta platform names because I'll tell you why. I'm not thinking about today. I'm thinking about... The future, you know, names like Facebook and NVIDIA, Roblox and Matterport, and there's a few others that are out there in this whole area, even Apple for that matter, to a, to an extent, Microsoft, you know, these are all names we have in our aggressive strategy, uh, the TDI managed growth strategy, trading strategy, essentially, the long short, the kind of um, positioning where we have individual equities, that's one strategy we have. And I talk about that a lot because it's kind of on my mind because it's active, our other strategies, while active as well, we utilize more of a passive and active ETF and mutual fund, which is very good and, and in terms of appropriate, I should say, for a lot of people for your baseline core investments, long-term investing, utilizing diversification, asset allocation, rotation, and, and um, rebalancing. That is the core of what we have as clients. That's what most people have as the baseline, either through our global allocation strategies or through Investology. The TDI managed growth strategy is an adjunct, in, in addition, a diversifier on top of that because we can be concentrated and heavy or we can be very light. We can be diversified there as well and have a large positioning inequities or not. We could have short positions as well. And it's interesting because, you know, as I look back at some of the positioning that we have and the short opportunities that were there, you know, a lot of them presented themselves as really great buy opportunities and then just fell off a cliff and then kind of had these, these fits and spurts in the end dropped down dramatically. Some of them were overnight. You know, you look at some of the stay-at-home plays, like a, a Zoom media that just had the crash or DocuSign that, that, that just crashed on an earnings. And, and you see that um, a name like, which we don't own, and some of these, some of these we have, but I'm talking about uh, in concept, 
you know, you look at the, the Peloton, what happened there? Wow, that was a great thing for a while. But I still like a lot of these for a longer term. I'm kind of talking a little bit outward right now. I'm not talking with a trading hat on. I'm talking more with an investing an investing uh, mantra right now. And, and, and these names and a few others that we're talking about, I think are interesting. And I'll tell you why. A lot of them are dropping down and have dropped dramatically. And as I mentioned, sometimes there are markets that hold up and underneath all of that, things are getting clobbered. And in particular, I think that even, let's admit it, the metaverse is a little strange. The concept of living inside of a headset is weird. Are we going to be in that kind of a world? Probably not. But here's what I do know. There's going to be a lot of money spent on whatever is going to be. We know that because Facebook, a.k.a. Metaverse, Meta, Meta is the name of the stock now, is the player that is putting up billions of dollars to develop this. And whether or not it catches on and does well, the fact is that there is a huge amount of money that is being spent on this. And when there is that kind of money being spent on something, there is a lot of excess opportunity. So, there's going to be winners and losers that are playing out on this whole thing. There's going to be some opportunities that are created. There's going to be some great prospects that are absorbed by bigger companies. So you got to keep an eye out, an eye out on this. And this is really important that I'm mentioning this right now because many of these names did see a mountainous move that was dramatic and then they came down just as dramatically. What we want to find now is, is are we in a situation that these stocks were a bit of the canary in the coal mine for the excess PE and earnings ratios that were out there, or are these the ones that are being flushed out because there was excess margin and buying on them, creating an opportunity on an oversold level that may be setting up for great pricing to get in for an investment in the future? Mm-hmm. Right? And these big... Losers like Pandemic Plays and cloud software. There's another side to this equation as well where this is really beneficial, like energy, like financials, like those companies that do better in these kinds of environments. See what happened with Salesforce recently? That was kind of interesting. Dropped off a cliff. Even Microsoft started coming in. Apple. These are great names, right? No question. But valuations got a little out of tilt. And what we're seeing is that there is a bit of a changeover. And this is why for a lot of people who have been sitting on the sideline, this is probably one of these great times to get involved in a variety of names that could show great potential for the future. What is actually happening and why it's interesting time for markets on now is the combination of all what we talked about. And I think, I think what we have to say is that there is clearly a stealth correction and stealth rallies that are going on right now. And the rally was really easy to see, right? It's, it's, it's again, in the bigger names and the markets have been moving pretty much in unison. But even in December, maybe a little further back than that, but around there, there was plenty of names getting slaughtered. We talked about the sinkhole a few weeks ago, and be aware of that. Well, 
Now what I want you to think about is this stealth correction, this stealth correction that went on and the names that maybe were undeservedly beaten down. Something I'm watching right now is, we're going to call it a soft signal. Something I kind of I watch, and it's Chinese tech names. Now, recently, there's been a little bit of a change in how we have to really think about these names because the Chinese government has done quite the number on many of these companies, from black hoods and sweeping away CEOs at night to, which is bad, <laughs> really bad, to the idea of giving back the money and sharing the wealth to shutting down certain players and uh, just closing down entire companies or not even allowing them to become available in the public markets or pulling them off of certain markets. So there's a lot going on there. There's no question. And, the, and if you wonder, if you look at a chart on KWeb, K-W-E-B, why it's down so dramatically over the last year, but look how long ago it started moving down. And I think there's some really interesting points right there. It's a 50% move on those names. 50%. Now, a lot of that was, again, due to the extra regulation and the environment that we're under and, and, and kind of different because um, you, you don't usually see these kinds of things, but it was pretty dramatic and very much significant to the profitability, therefore, prices move down. So that makes kind of sense. But I want to watch this because one of the things that I've seen in the past is uh, a bit of a canary in the in 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 the in the mine, if you will. That you have a potential for Chinese names in Asia, in particular, to really react very dramatically ahead of any occurrence, and then come back. I remember this back from 2008, even through the pandemic, we saw there was a significant amount of movement in the Asian markets. And then they went down, crashed. And there may be a signal of when some of the selling is ending in certain areas of the market, the areas that have had this, as we're calling it, this stealth correction or even crash. We look for clues. We look for breadcrumbs. Signals. These are things to know. These are things that we need to really focus on when we're seeing that markets are out of joint. January 22nd, episode 750. Wait a second. How long can this market that is levitating without anything underneath it magically hold on? Just look at Netflix last week. Down 24%. See Peloton down another 25%, 30% maybe in totality for the week. And many names that everybody thought were the darlings of the pandemic have gotten crucified. And a lot of the reason I think that we're seeing such excessive moves right now is because too much money was being thrown at the markets for a lot of different reasons. The problem when you really break it down, here's what happened. People didn't care about their money. They didn't care. And when you don't care about something, it doesn't care about you. 
where you're just throwing it in there like, ah, what the hell? Let's see what could do. I'm going to think that this idea that somebody's talking about is going to be great. And you know what? Uh, you know, if I lose it, what the hell? Emotions are a big part of this, whether we like it or not. It's very difficult to separate your emotions from your money. Some people could do it really well. Others can't. Maybe you're one of them. I don't know. Even professionally, it's sometimes very difficult to separate all that. What we saw was that people got giddy. They got exuberant. And they just kept on buying. Now, I'm talking about this because I think it's really important right now to consider where we are in the cycle as, as well as the emotional positioning that we need to really deal with. February 6th, episode 752. I want to talk about logic and all the things that we need to do when our emotions are running hot. Because here we are in a situation where we're seeing a lot of volatility in the markets. A lot of people are very concerned about where is the next possible leg going. Are we going to see what we saw in the beginning of the week? This incredible revival of markets. Or what we saw towards the end of the week. Specifically how bad things were on Thursday after Facebook came out with their earnings. Or should I say meta. And then crashed the entire tech space. And a lot of people have a lot of concentration in technology, in the NASDAQ 100, in healthcare, more like biotech. A lot of you do because I've seen your portfolios. You send them to me to look at. I've been doing this for a long time. Corrections are always going to be a part of the cycle. And on that note, let me just take a moment to segue into another part of a cycle that we think every once in a while has been solved, and that is the peak to trough economic cycle that goes on time and time again. Every time we think that we are in a situation where we have just conquered that and that we're no longer going to have recessions and that we're no longer going to go into bad times, lo and behold, those are the times that we need to stop and look around and say, oh, oh, yeah. We are in a cyclical style because we have people that are involved. We have people that are buying things and sometimes get too excited and go over the top and buy to a point of pushing a price to a level that make it absurdly costly and then they drop or... We have people involved that are selling and they just need to get out at any price. And they don't care how about how much money they're going to lose or not. And they're just going to get out. Remember, we had oil at negative $40 per barrel. What was that all about? Was that logical? Was that a cycle that was broken and never going to be again? No. It was the fact that people were freaking out and wanted to get out. We end up in those situations of what we'll call, for lack of a better discussion, word, overbought and oversold. Too hot, too cold. Overexpansion, recession. These are all parts of the cycle. And what we're seeing over the last few weeks 
is that this pain, this anxiety, this concern, this feeling like, oh, it's never going to get better. And if you think about where we were just a month ago, which was, it's never going to get any worse. This is always going to be what it is. We get caught up in these very strange moments in time, forgetting that there are cycles that are there all the time. Now, I'll give you an example of something. You take a company, let's let's focus on Facebook. Let's just keep on really just driving this point home because it's one of the wi- most widely held stocks that are that's out there. Facebook is held in just about every growth or growth in income ETF and mutual fund, in pension plans, in hedge funds, in individual portfolios. Is the thesis about what Facebook is going to do, could do in the future the same as it was a month ago? Well, clearly not. I mean, Facebook came out and told us they're going to have a much lower revenue and they're going to continue investing. And one of the reasons that they're going to have less revenue from advertising and more importantly, lower earnings. And they did take a a hit on their MAUs, the monthly active users. So they're not signing up as many people. They're putting money back into the metaverse through their Reality Labs division. $10 billion, $10 billion was burnt or utilized or invested over the last year or so into their next ambition, which may or may not come to fruition as a moneymaker, but they are really pumping it hard. And that's one of the reasons why they missed and why they're giving such a downbeat overall guidance. Is the thesis of Facebook the same today as it was two months ago or six months ago? Probably not. What are you doing about that? The question then is, what about the longer term? So if you're near term on this investment, so you can write this down, you keep a, a notepad and put down the investment, ask these questions. What is my short-term, mid-term, and long-term outlook? Has that changed? And even do that, let's say, quarterly. Are we going to get to all-time highs again? Well, I can tell you without the big players like a Facebook pulling the weight in terms of earnings, it's going to be a hard grind. On the other hand, we see Google with a great number. Apple, reasonably no, reasonable number. Microsoft doing great. Hmm. Maybe, just maybe, there's still a lot of gas left in there. Tax rates are low. Their balance sheets are looking good. They're doing the share buybacks. There's a lot of good things out there as well, although we are cycling from an economic standpoint. This week, I want you to think about all these items. And again, first and foremost, Ask yourself, what am I investing for? That will give you the blank canvas and the proper map to start thinking about all the other things that you're doing to make sure that you're lined up. So then when you ask the question of yourself, should I invest in this stock or this fund? Does it fit my portfolio more so? What am I investing for? Is it short-term profits? Is it long-term retirement? Is it college funding? Does that fit? with the big picture of what I'm trying to do and how does this fit into my entire portfolio and how does it work from a concentration and overlap risk standpoint? All those things are easily answered when you have the first question answered to begin with. 
April 24th, episode 763. Look at what happened with that great stock Netflix now down 62% for the year to date. I mean, that's substantial. That's a loss. We just saw that Bill Ackman, who invested in Netflix about, I think it was three or four months ago, pulled out and said, you know, I'm done with this stock. He lost $400 million plus for his clients. 4% total of his portfolio value on that one stock this year. A lot of what we saw was pull forward demand. And that's interesting to note, by the way, because if we do believe that there is a point right now where we're seeing peak demand and supply chain concern and higher prices that will probably bring on a slowdown of demand, you got to wonder if what Netflix is talking about, I'm going to quote what they said in their conference call. They said that they believe that most of its slowing growth in 2021 was due to the COVID pull forward. And probably what we're going to see is that there are many other stocks today suffering the same declines because of that admission by Netflix, which has really started to stir some concerns that investors are looking at and have been looking at about, you know, disappointing growth numbers. So the pull forward, which is something we talked about two years ago, this pull forward concern it's not something that's new. It's been talked about many, many times over the years by myself. I've been talking about this and wondering when is this going to start to show its ugly head that we had all of this go on. And look at stocks. You could see it. The pull forward was based on the peak where everybody thought this is going to continue forever. People are going to be buying four couches for their house every single year somehow. By the end of the 10 years, you'll have 40 or 50 couches somehow. Wayfair, RH, right? These are the things that people thought was going to continue forever. So Netflix has really validated the concern that there is a current trend that is persisting. That is, vis-a-vis, we are seeing a slowdown in demand. It's happening already. The other thing that they want to talk about was some of these trends like metaverse and next tech. And I talked to them about the idea that we have to really just go no further than look at what has gone on with Facebook, a.k.a. Meta, with their Oculus and their VR headsets that are out there, Snapchat with their glasses, Google glasses. You know, we look at all of these things and we start thinking about where are we going with this and are we going to enter into a... A, a generation that already is submerged and sub, and and and, and uh, immersed in their phones for the understanding of who someone is. So rather than doing a face to face talk conversation, it's all predicated on the image that is built online. Your your virtual image. In the nineteen eighties, nineteen nineties, we were all about looking at oh, how do we have life. Um, how do we have uh, health benefits and, and, and biotechnology? And, and how do we have uh, things that will elongate our lifetime, making sure that we have, you know, ways to cure against cancer and illness and heart and all this stuff, right? Okay. Well, today I want you to think about that healthcare in a different way. I want you to think of it as technology healthcare, Technology healthcare in the form of protection against hacking and protection against um, uh, 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 denial of service, 
Uh, look at companies like CrowdStrike and Palantir and, and, and look at uh, companies like um, in, in the area of, well, there's a lot of companies, Microsoft too, but there's a lot of companies in the area of protection. Um, Sentinel One, these are all companies that are charged with the health of our technology, which is a 20 uh, year 2020 or 20, really 2011, uh, 2010 through 2050, probably going to be the healthcare of what we saw, what we're doing for individuals. Lots of issues right there. And I think that's really important to look at. July 31st, episode 775. Think about charting. Charting is all about the idea of trend following or at least penguining. These are all good. That's great. And we also talk about the ostrich when you're kind of avoiding everything. And, and, and anyone who discusses finance, you got your head in your sand, you're not looking, you're not adjusting, you're never taking a look or doing anything about it, right? That's the ostrich. That's what we discussed last week. And I want to kind of go one step further on, on this with you because if you stop for a second and really just for a moment say, all right, well, so I didn't want to look. What's the big deal? Well, what could you have been missing in July? A remarkable month overall. Last month, July 2022, names you know are doing extraordinarily well. Extraordinarily well. Why is that? Is it a dead count bounce or a bear market bounce? Maybe. Were things just oversold to a point that was ridiculous and now we're just adjusting back? And maybe this is as good as it gets right now. Maybe it doesn't necessarily have to roll over and hit new lows. Maybe. Depending on where we are, we'll talk about that a little bit later in the show, about where we are right now economically. But think about this: these names. Netflix, in the month of July, up 30%. Roblox, up 39%. Amazon, great numbers on Friday, up about 25%. Tesla, up 25%. Affirm, up 44%, PayPal, up 24%, Apple, Apple, up 15%, Bitcoin, up 20%. Even the indices had a great month. And even if you're not following all of the penguins that were quacking about, OMG, there's a recession, the R word, and we're going to test the lows again. Oh, run for the hills, you know. Everybody's worried, everybody's concerned. Everybody on TV is talking about, oh my gosh, we've got to come back. You have recessionary pricing. That means we have to have multiples contract down to 12. We're at, we were at 22, we're at 15. There's a long way to go. I see 3,200 and 2,900 on the SP, you know, all these things that everybody was talking about, right? And I was like, hey, listen, oh, I think they're getting a little bit out of sorts right now. I think we've done a lot of the damage. And, uh, but, but what we want to look at there is, is that I talked about this whole idea that, you know what, we're, we're being very careful not to go short on a lot of hedging on indices right now, I'd rather have a buffer of cash. And that's worked out pretty well. Because that buffer of cash, which was at 20% plus or minus for a while, was redeployed as we saw things coming down and added to names that really popped dramatically. You remember uh, six months ago? Whew, everything looks good. Oh my God, everything looks fantastic. Why are stocks coming down? Things look good. I don't understand. And that's why when we had that GDP release in second quarter in a row and there was an initial downside reaction on it, and then boom, Fed expectations, 
depending on incoming data. Now, interestingly enough, Friday was a pretty good day off of the PCE numbers that hit the highest level since 82. And that was really due to the fact they had a few earnings that came out, particularly two beasts of earnings. Listen, we had Apple come out, stock did well. We had Amazon come out. You know, Roku, not big deal. Intel, not as big as deal as it was in the past. You know, both those crashing pretty hard. So now, all of a sudden, we're thinking of a different future for tightening. But that, too, frankly, is imbecilic. Stupid. Idiotic. I mean, just moronic. The idea that the Fed is going to lay off when we're still seeing heavy inflation pressures Here's the point and the reason why. It takes a good amount of time for economic conditions to change. Months. Months and months and months. When you change one dynamic, a rate increase, tightening of financial conditions, these are slowly trickled into the economy. But because the stock market is forward-looking, right? It's a forward-discounting mechanism, Maybe it's thinking three, six months down the road, maybe nine. Who knows? There's going to be hard times maybe now, and the Fed will need to rethink down the road about all they're doing to squash inflation, and they're going to have to reinvigorate the economy and cut rates. Already we're thinking 2023, we're going to start seeing rate cuts. Now, in my humble opinion... I think what's going on is more about earnings than economics. They're somewhat joined at the hip uh, on, on a big delay. They don't have to be fully correlated, but not entirely. One of the things that I worry about is not a recession in the economy, which is problematic, but what I worry about is an earnings recession. That is something you need to be worried about. Right? That is something you need to really start thinking, oh, that, that's not good for my portfolio. Because that causes a whole different level of pain. August 7th, episode 776. You're president and chairman of this company. I'm vice president. I'm the CFO, by the way. And you come to me, we're in a meeting. Hey, you know, not looking so good in the forecast for the next year. And I'm like, uh-huh, we got to do something. Well, why is that? Well, we got to keep the share price up and the shareholders happy. Why is that? Well, I'm a big shareholder, aren't I? <laughs> right? We got to make sure that stock stays up. I also want to keep my job. You know what? What are we going to do? Let's get rid of a lot of people. Wait a minute. What about their jobs? doesn't matter as long as I keep my job. Let's be honest. Right? So, Frank, you're, you, you made the decision, by the way. You're the bad guy, too. Uh, <laughs> you're laying off people, cutting back renegotiating contracts, right? Redoing, if you can, the balance sheet of some sort, if, if there is capability of, of doing that. And basically what you're going to do is you're going to squeeze everything for your and my benefit, aren't you? Yes. I mean, look, Apple is, is a good example of this, right? So Apple is cutting jobs, right? They cut 60,000 jobs. So they're cutting jobs. And now what did you say earlier, right? So they raise money. Uh, through the bond market to buy back their stock. So if you're buying back your stock and you're also cutting that many employees, your earnings are going to go, your earnings are going to skyrocket, right? Not that earnings are going to skyrocket, but you're reducing the float, right? So it's automatically, it's going to be a boost. To so you're reducing you the float and you're cutting costs. So therefore yes, it's going to be costs. pegged right to your earnings. And Frank, can you explain one more time to people? I think it's really important to understand that a lot of people don't get, and it's this, uh, when they see that, 
companies are laying off, you know, company ABC is laying off uh, employees. They immediately say, oh, man, that's a problem. Very similar to if they see a company with a high short interest, they're like, oh, that company really people want to short. There's no way that stock's going up, right? Can you explain the other side of both those arguments or discussions? Yeah. So, so, I mean, starting with, I mean, you can start with the short if you want. When you see a high short ratio, one is that you're able to see that a, a lot. And in today's market where you can get a message out, whatever you want, you can get a, a negative message out, a positive message out to whoever you want, especially with short sellers. You could say whatever you want. Listen, I'm short. I'm going to come out tomorrow with the biggest short ever. They load up on a position and come out on it and in short, they'll make money off it. And, and they have disclaimers that they could sell it right away. It's unbelievable. You can't do it in the long side. You can do it in the short side. But when you see that, all you need is one little positive thing to trigger an event to make that stock go higher. And if it goes 5% higher, you're going to see people cover. Then when they cover, they have to buy back the stock. It's going to push the stock up even further. That's what you see. So many people were short this market over the past few weeks. A lot of these names, when they mm -hmm. reported, you're seeing, you know, they're up 10% if they pour it after the close and the next day you'll see they open up 30% higher because that, that's the shorts covering. Right. That's just running right. the cover say, we got to get out of this yeah. position and in mm -hmm. order to get out of your position, you have to buy it. Now, when it comes to uh, the, the earnings part is these companies will lay off employees and they'll take a charge, but that charge amazingly is not, so they'll report earnings and they'll say they're expecting a dollar earnings, right? And say they laid off that quarter. So dollar earnings, they'll come in at 50 cents in earnings. You're like, wow, they missed. But that includes like a, a charge, a certain charge or write down whatever, because when you lay off employees, you have to pay them you know, up front based on how many years they work and severance packages, right? So they'll take a charge. But they say minus that charge, those earnings are $1.10 and this company beat by 10 cents, right? So once that charge is gone, it's gone. So now you're looking at these earnings going higher because you're not paying your employees as much. And then you're buying back the stock. Mm -hmm. I mean, you, you can look at so many companies. Nike's the best at manipulating their earnings. I think there was like four quarters in a row they would have missed earnings if they didn't buy back their stock uh, and manipulate their earnings. And, and people like, they bought the numbers. They're great. They didn't bought the numbers. <laughs> it was just different things that they were doing, which is incredible, even though they saw a massive decline in China, which is their biggest growth market. Uh, so when you're looking at earnings and saying, there's no way earnings are going to be that high, I've made that mistake. I'm not saying like I'm a, I just, I underestimate earnings all the time and it's the biggest mistake you can make. It's a fool's error. You're just going to, because the companies know how to manipulate their earnings, just like Apple's doing right now. Apple's laying off employees and they're buying back their stock. So their earnings are going to be very, very strong going forward. And that's what people look at. Not to mention going into the quarter, you don't hear this. You hear upgrades, downgrades, and you hear the earnings estimates as individual investors. What you don't hear is when analysts, that number you're seeing on TV is a consensus estimate of, say, 35 analysts, sell-side analysts, the big shops covering Apple. So they're lowering estimates dramatically into the quarter by 15%. You don't hear that. You don't. They don't report that, right? So they have these little reports. Oh, we're going to lower our estimates by 10 cents, 20 cents, 30 cents. They're coming in light, right? So that, that estimate, that consensus goes down. So, so in other words, what this is is the pole vaulter that yeah. walks up to the to, you're, you're 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 looking left the whole time. We're looking at the uh, the sprint, and we're looking at the, the hundred yard dash. We're looking at the 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 shot put, and all of a sudden we look to our right, and that pole vaulter makes it way over the top of that, or or the 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 high jump way over the top. But we didn't notice that they lowered the bar. Is that what you're saying? Yes, you don't notice that they lowered the bar. All the trends in technology right now are extensions on existing trends, like AI, you're looking at, at 5G. It's all like extensions on how to make you know, data analytics better, whatever. When you're looking at pure innovation, world changing, mm -hmm. you're looking at, at NFTs. And people look at NFTs as art. It's not art. You look at the metaverse where $13 trillion, that's what Citigroup says it's going to be. You're looking at Goldman Sachs saying it's, it could be an $8 trillion market. Just to put that in perspective, right? And, and they're not the only firms. Even Morgan Stanley said it could be that high. 
just to put that in perspective, that's a bigger total addressable market than EVs, data analytics, 5G, and cloud computing combined. That equals $5 trillion. That's the metaverse. So it's hard to define right now, but people think it's, it's still a ways out. You have $120 billion in the first five months of this year that has already flowed into this industry. This is an industry that we're in. We spent $5 million to the largest virtual real estate purchase that $5 million three months ago is now based on the latest sale is worth about $22 million. The amount of capital, the amount of resources, you don't see a company like Facebook, which had a trillion dollar market cap, which I've never seen a company do this. I've seen companies company change their names all the time, but not when they, you're one of the biggest in the owners of the internet doing $100 billion in sales. They change their name. They're focusing on this. Yes, they're losing money. But everything that's going to be sold within the metaverse is going to be NFTs. All of this is coming out of crypto. And people so think tell me, what does that mean? Let me tell me my people that are listening. They're dying to know, what do I do? Buy a little land. Put a couple hundred dollars, maybe a thousand dollars in it. And again, start doing your research. Doubt everything that I'm saying because I doubted it. And I am like, listen, I put my money in my mouth. It's $5 million purchase of land. So that and I'm someone who's followed trends all my life. This one, I think, is going to be the greatest trend I've ever seen. Huh. And I don't say that lightly. So could I be wrong? Absolutely. But when I see the validation of the money coming in, that's the validation. When you, it's, it's Everyone can say whatever trend is here and it's coming and have forecast. You could forecast it's going to be a $100 trillion market. When you see the billions flowing from the biggest companies in the world, that's the validation of that, that trend is coming. It's here and you need to get in. And you, This is one of the trends you can get in early, even before uh, a lot of institutions. So hmm. I would be buying real estate right now in, in some of these areas. November 6th, episode 789. Can we just for a moment talk about Zuck and what's yeah. going on at Meta? Meta and and, and yep. is he absolutely, did, did he, did he, is he lost his marbles? Uh, I think he's smart because he's transitioning. And I want you guys to understand that what he's doing is not the metaverse. Okay. The metaverse is an open source platform that we could all go on. We own our own content. We could build on it. Yes. There's going to be regulation behind it by a company, but you know, if you want to track data, you got to check boxes and check, not like now we just go to a website and, and just by viewing it, they, you automatically accept the, the agreement. But he knew it was coming down the pipeline in terms of Apple and how and advertising and at least he's transitioning because Google's not really transitioning. They, they got a little revenue coming in from the cloud, but search is down. That's their business search, right? And what are they going to do? So I like the transition, but make no mistake that what he's creating is a massive virtual platform where he still wants to collect data off of it and have advertising dollars and stuff like that through there because it's providing a better experience when you're on your phone or whatever, right? We saw TikTok, when you provide a better experience, it takes up with some of your time and that results in lots of uh, advertising dollars. Make no mistake, what they're doing at Meta is not really a metaverse. That's more of a virtual platform because they yeah. still want. So there's a big difference. There's a big difference, and, and but you got to admit that he's coughing up a lot of dough to do it. It is. If you don't think that you know Web three or whatever, and it's BS. Millennials are forty now. They're forty years old. Makes us appear pretty old, right? But they grew up one hundred percent in digital world, right? If you look at your kids and you see them play on Roblox, you see them play on Minecraft, you see them play on Fortnite, which most kids do and how they're able to build their developers already. This is how they grew up. I don't even know what they're doing. That's the future. Now they can build things and make money off of it. That's the future of the web. That's web three, payment systems without third parties. Uh, you know, that's where Bitcoin comes in. I mean, this is revolutionary. There's a reason why $170 billion has spent has been spent this year, one of the worst markets ever, uh, on the metaverse. And that money's coming from the big companies that own the internet. A lot of the fang names. There's a reason. They see the transition coming. 
it is coming. It could take a little bit longer than expected, but this is something where I think five years from now, just investing a little bit in different plays here, you're going to be very, very happy because it's going to be the biggest growth market in the world. Mm, interesting. December 4th, episode 793. Companies more and more are doing a stock buyback, but they're only buying back shares that they have just printed and given to management. <laughs> Right. But that's not every company. So Some companies have actually shrunk their float significantly. Well, well, like like there are good guys, and I, I call it the good, the bad, and the ugly. Right, the good in something like this is a company that actually shrinks share count. I when I was running my hedge fund, I loved companies that used buybacks to do that. Right, I mean it's just it's it's fantastic to me as an investor. And the best example I've got of that is Apple. Yeah, Apple. That's that's the that's the, the Starbucks is another one. Yeah, Starbucks is another one. So sure. look over the last ten years. Uh, Apple has used ni- more than 90%, something like 92, 93% of its free cash flow to actually give money back to shareholders in the form of shrinking the share count and giving a dividend. Starbucks has given over 100% of its free cash flow over the last 10 years back to shareholders with a true stock buyback and dividends. But on the flip side, you've got the bad and the ugly. Google and Meta, you know, used to be Facebook, we'll call it Meta now, but these are companies that have used, in the case of Google, 63% of its free cash flow. In the case of Meta, 76% of its free cash flow to monetize stock-based compensation, right? They've done stock buybacks, but they haven't reduced the share count. What they've done is they've paid off the management, the employees that they printed new shares of stock and gave it to. It's, it's, it's crazy, but that's, it's, it's the biggest, I think, legal con, <laughs> you know, in, in, in Wall Street today. Uh, so now you bet you're going to tell well over I, a trillion dollars. I bet you're going to tell me that uh, it's the same people that are getting the stock-based compensation that are approving the share, share repurchase plans. It's exactly it. <laughs> oh, really? It's exactly no. No, that's it. It's 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 crazy, right? And and but it but you can't if you say that this is bullshit. People say, oh well, you might, you're anti-capitalism. You know, this is and, and and I'm not. I'm I'm so pro-capitalism, which is why I'm looking up for the actual shareholders because it's my money as a shareholder, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. The the free cash flow that's mine as a shareholder. And using it to buy back stock that one hand has given management and now the other hand management is paying themselves for it, it's bullshit. Terrible. I want to talk about the new Twitter. I, I am, yeah. you know, uh, I am this Elon Musk fan of his creativity in building companies. And, yep. and Elon Musk just disgusted with the rest of his crap. That's, yeah. me. That's me. That's me. It's it's desperation, man. I mean, you're getting advertisers are fleeing, and you've got to make this work because you know forty four billion dollars. You still got a lot of debt out there that, and you're running at a loss right now. So it's 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 not like your losses are limited to the forty four billion, man. You've got to you got to turn this thing around. So 
you know, you, you try to find new revenue streams, $8 a month. I mean, I'm not paying, I'm not paying $8 a month for Twitter. I'm just not. I'd pay, wait, wait, I would pay $8 a month for Twitter. Let me just state my point too. Same with yours. Yeah, yeah. I'd pay $8 a month for Twitter, not for some cockamamie, whatever that blue thing is. Oh, There's a difference. Oh, for sure. Well, and I'm going to tell you, this is one of the things, the thing that I still like about Twitter. Uh, There are a lot of, you get a lot of different views and angles on an issue. And I find that it's so much more responsive than mainstream media. And I, I think, I think Elon's onto something with that. Uh, and I think that that is a feature, not a bug, but a feature of Twitter that is worth a lot. Certainly that is worth a lot to me that it gets drowned out by say the other uses of moving too fast, which is that you just get the usual political bullshit from both sides. Mm -hmm. And um, you get a lot of different angles on a question in a much more timely fashion. And frankly, in a more trustworthy fashion, because it is coming from lots of different places then I find that I get from mainstream media. I mean, finishing off with Ben Hunt, how great was that? We had Frank Curzio, a lot of other names, me doing some of my own discussions about what I thought was interesting to, to look at last year as well. So hope you enjoyed that best of tech tidbits from 2022, giving you some food for thought, what to look at and understanding how it all turned out in the end. Thanks for joining me this week and every week on the Disciplined Investor Podcast. Andrew Horowitz sailing off into the sunset. I'll see you again next week. Nothing discussed in this podcast should be considered a recommendation to buy or sell any security. Past performance is no indication of future results. In addition, the information presented is not intended to be used as a sole basis of any investment decisions, nor should be construed as advice designed to meet the individual needs of any particular investor. Nothing herein constitutes legal, accounting, or tax advice or individually tailored investment advice. Remember, investing involves substantial risk. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results and a loss of original capital may occur. No one receiving or accessing this information should make any investment decision without first consulting his or her own personal financial advisor and conducting his or her own research and due diligence, including carefully reviewing any applicable prospectuses, press releases, reports, and other public filings of the issuer of any securities being considered. Please consider this for educational purposes only. As always, use your best judgment when investing. Horowitz & Company, Inc. is registered as an investment advisor with the state of Florida and conducts business in other states where it is properly registered or is excluded from registration requirements. Registration does not imply any level of skill or training. Advertisements are not related to the host or affiliates and are not considered recommendations by the host of the show or any affiliates of Horowitz & Company. 